Welcome back to the Air It Out podcast. I am Lucas Shu. I've been talking a lot about trying to get guests on the podcast for a while now. We finally got our first guest ever on the podcast. We have Paul Duncan. Many of you probably don't know Paul Duncan, but he works PFF with me. Uh, he does PFF Eagles, so PFF, as most of you know, has Twitter, social media pages. He runs the PFF Eagles account. Go follow Paul. Paul, how is it going today? It's going, it's going great. Just uh, another day in paradise. I'm <laughs> over here in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, ready to get going and talk about football and make this uh, podcast a better place for Lucas and try to uh, show my uh, chops and show that I can do this kind of stuff too. <laughs> Perfect. So me and Paul have been knowing each other about, I don't know, a few months now because I remember we talked about writing and stuff, but... I've seen his article. He's really good at what he does. But uh, we're going to get right into the podcast. Um, we are f- actual first actual segment ever on the show. Well, maybe not ever, but probably Real Mirage. We're talking about we each give some players or teams or anything involved in sports football, that is, who we believe are either a legit player who could keep doing or a legit team who would keep doing what they're doing and keep up their good play or abilities. Or mirage in this aspect, where we don't really think that they can keep this up. We don't think that their abilities are going to keep going into the future in the NFL season. Paul, who's the first guy you got? First team you got? Who is it? Uh, the first guy I want to talk about is uh, Pat Mahomes. So coming into the season, I think everybody that's like a casual fan was thinking Pat Mahomes is amazing. He's going to be to have another great season. There's right. No limit to his potential. But a lot of people who were on the uh, smart end of things, a lot of people who study statistics, and a lot of people who've been around a while were saying regression is inevitable. Uh, Tom Brady regressed after his legendary 2007 season. Peyton Manning was never able to get 50 touchdowns in back-to-back years. Yep. Like, he's going to be really good, but he's not going to be that good again. But he's that good again. And what makes this even more impressive to, to me is that he's doing this without Tyreek Hill. Right, right. This is a worse offense, in talent-wise, than what it was last year. And he's still putting out great numbers and putting up great numbers against not terrible defenses. Like, Baltimore Ravens have a great defense, and he was still able to do what he does against them. Yeah. At this point, I think we're going to have to start thinking about this as the new norm. And while he is on pace for 6,000 passing yards right now, I don't think he can keep up on that pace. But I do think that he is going to break some records again this year, be the number one fantasy football quarterback, and touch, touch maybe touch uh, 5,300 passing yards and 50 touchdowns again. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me with the way Patrick Mahomes is playing. I mean, he's played some legit teams. Like, the first week, he played the Jaguars. He played the Ravens already. And the Jaguars, he torched the Jaguars. She scored 40 points on them. But after that game, the Jaguars gave up 13 to the Texans, gave up 7 to the Titans. They played pretty good defense besides the Chiefs. I mean, that Chiefs team, we're going to get into it later about uh, schematics and schemes and everything, but that Chiefs team is so well-built with Andy Reid as our head coach, and with the weapon, not they lost Tyreek Hill, but with Taylor Kelsey, I mean, Mahomes is just killing it this year. And it's just, 
he's the new version of Aaron Rodgers and where he makes Sam Mazza said this on the PFF podcast. He makes these crazy throws that shouldn't be humanly possible. Yep, and but he, uh, he's also still missing some more easy ones. I mean, he's not playing perfect football. There's room yeah. for improvement. Right. There with Mahomes, this could be like levels of quarterbacking that we have not seen. He could be he could do for quarterbacking something similar to what Steph Curry did for shooting and just open things up so much more and uh, make more NFL teams open up their passing game and just try to sling it out there. It's just it's just incredible what he's doing. Right. It's, I Coming into that draft, that Trubisky, Watson, I can't remember what year it was exactly draft. I I think it was 15. It might have been. 17, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 17, my bad. But yeah, 15, 15 was way back. 17, excuse me, but yeah. What Mahomes did, I mean, I knew about him coming out of a and, uh, Tech, excuse me, A&M Tech, and I didn't, I knew he was this not gunslinger type of guy but who could make these pat, crazy passes, but I didn't know it was this level of accuracy on these crazy deep throws, just complete gunslinger, but not to the point of gunslinger where he's just willy-nilly throwing it in coverage and just like 50-50 balls. It's some legit accurate passes and there he's also reading defense as well right too like you cannot be throwing that well if you're not dominating on the mental level if you're not grinding film like you can have all the talent in the world and if you're not doing that so he's made way more steps in that uh, department than what i was expecting i just thought I didn't really look at him too much coming out of college. I was looking more, I studied more Trubisky, but I just was like, oh, air raid guy, big arm, cross between, like, maybe I'll be just like a Jake Cutler type, but boy, was I wrong. Right, I mean, I don't think anybody really saw, like, this coming from just, even, like, the highest expectations you could have from a Holmes, I don't think that was... What you expect from him? Like it just, he just broke everybody's expectation completely. It's, it's been wild. Absolutely. So uh, switching topics, how are you feeling about Daniel Jones? Do you think that he's going to be the next rookie thing, or, or do you believe that that was a mirage uh, or a fluke against Tampa Bay? I'm gonna lean heavily towards mirage. I'm not saying he's gonna be this awful quarterback. I'm not saying in the slightest. I think his future is. Like, solid quarterback guy you can work with, but not, like, your top 10 level, like, elite quarterback. I get he played great against, was it the Redskins he played against last week? Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Redskins plays this week. Tampa Bay. Because uh, Matt Gay missed that field goal, correct. But I get that he played really well against Tampa Bay. He had some forced fumbles. He didn't look great in the pocket. He had, he went... Only three completions when he was under under pressure last week against Tampa Bay. I just don't think that's sustainable. I mean, he can do that one week, but next week he might be under pressure again and just go completely opposite way. It's just not sustainable from like a numbers perspective. And even that he, he said, say he's really good at throwing against pressure, he's still gonna get hit crazy. He's still gonna probably lose a lot of fumbles. That's one of his biggest weaknesses to me is. His pocket presence and pocket awareness when he's under pressure. 
Yeah, I I agree with uh, that. His most of his best plays were under pressure, and what we know from a statistical standpoint is that performance under pressure is not stable. Right. So you can't expect a quarterback, even someone that is great like Tom Brady or Pat Mahomes, to consistently play great under pressure. They can have amazing games, or they can have bad games. It, it fluctuates because that's that's what pressure does. It forces you to make quick decisions, and a lot of those quick decisions will end up being mistakes. Uh, what I think about Daniel Jones is I look to what he was like in college, and he just really didn't excel. Uh, you want quarterbacks in college to and you want them to dominate. You want them to look good on throws over the middle, and you want them to be accurate, and Daniel Jones never really was able to do that much. Yeah, he's got a good arm, uh, sneaky athleticism, and he's uh, obviously very, very smart. Right. And that'll take him somewhere, but I just can't see him getting past uh, what I call the Andy Dalton line for quarterbacks. I always say, if uh, think of your your favorite team starting quarterback. Would you rather have him or Andy Dalton? If the Andy is Andy Dalton, you need a new quarterback. And I think that's going to be the line he's going to be hu- uh, going to hover around. Uh, Andy Dalton, Jake Cutler. Yeah, he's kind of a starting quarterback, but you're always going to be looking uh, five years from now. You won't, um, I can't say that the Giants won't be looking for another quarterback. Right. I mean, I think they're spot on with that Andy Dalton line uh, metaphor. I mean, like I said, he's not going to be awful. I don't think he's not bad enough to be awful. He's not good enough to be great. He's going to be right in that middle range of if you give him weapons, if you give him like a good offensive coordinator, a good offensive head coach, you'll be able to work with him. But you're going to need to give him something to work with because he's not going to create on his own. He's not going to be like these top 10 guys where he can make plays out of the pocket or he's exceptionally accurate or he's got a cannon for an arm make deep throws and accurate with it. He's just... He's going to be okay, I think. Which... Uh, yeah. I think the potential for him to be awful is absolutely there. Yeah. Uh, I could I could see a future where he has some Mitch Trubisky type just calling the team games. Oof. But... <laughs> I just I don't really see it with uh, Daniel Jones yet. I think we we definitely have to hold the horses right now. It was the Tampa Bay defense. Their their secondary is bad at bad at best, abysmal at worst. Oh yeah. Let's 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 see some more games. Let's give a let's wait a second to see how teams adjust to him before. We uh, christened him the new king of New York. Right, and I think even like the past week they played Buccaneers. This week they're playing Redskins. I screwed that up. I think we need to even wait after that because this Redskins defense, the secondary anyways, is not good. Josh Norman's not where he used to be. I mean, it's just a not good team overall. I think we're going to need to wait to see what happens at when the whole season's said and done. Maybe until next year and just see how things work out for him. If he's great happy for the Giants. I'm nothing against the Giants, but I agree with you where I think it's going to be... I think there's a there's a good chance where he could be a... I don't think it's going to be a Mitch Trubisky level bad, but I think there's a better chance he's going to be on the badder side of things than the good, the good side of things, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. But yeah, so, talking about maybe a natural sneaky athletic quarterback, but a very athletic quarterback, 
What do you think about Lamar Jackson? Okay, so a little background on me and Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson is my dude uh, from when I started my whole uh, charting and watching football career. Uh, Lamar Jackson is one of the first guys I actually tried to really sit down and watch and try to learn from and try to use him as uh, some examples of what quarterbacks can do good and bad. Right. So I've watched a lot of Lamar Jackson tape in college, and I've, I love watching Lamar Jackson in the NFL. He's a guy I feel I know and understand. But I am so excited for what Lamar Jackson has shown and what he can do. So coming out of college, we all knew his athleticism was off the charts. 10 out of 10, 90-something speed in Madden. Yep. Just out of this world, incredible. But one of the things he had that I really, really liked and thought was going to make him really well is he was good on horizontal throws over mm-hmm. the middle. Right. As you know, in an NFL offense... Those are the money plays. Those are the plays that get you those get third and eights, the digs over the middle, deep crossing routes, uh, uh, drags on mesh routes. Mm-hmm. He had a natural touch of finding those players and getting crucial first downs when he wasn't using his legs. Now, on throws outside the numbers, he was pretty bad. Yep. But throws inside the numbers, horizontal, he was good, and I thought you could build an offense around that. And now Greg Roman's coming in, and he's he's starting to it's starting to happen. He have a, he has a great running game. He's got great receive. He's got a Marquise Brown as a deep threat who's yeah. trying to alleviate some of the his deep ball throws. And he's got multiple good tight ends that he can hit over the middle. I think he's going to end up having being the second best quarterback in fantasy football because of his rushing ability. And I think we're really going to start seeing. The player, a player like RG three, if he was going, if he would have stayed healthy. Yeah, I think that RG three comparison is very interesting to me because I think what you get in Lamar Jackson is a better version of RG three. I think RG three. I think Lamar's a better thrower of the football than RG three is. But I'll be honest, coming out of Louisville, I wasn't huge on Lamar Jackson. His accuracy really worried me. He did make those nice throws like over the middle. Where the where where NFL quarterbacks live, and that's where analytics say you live, uh, should live. But his actually still worried me. But the past, I mean, his first two weeks of the season, he, he I'm not gonna lie, he played outstanding. Against the Chiefs, it wasn't as outstanding. I think this is my I think this is my opinion. I think with Lamar Jackson, where you're gonna get is a guy who will make those nice throws. He will be able to win new games with his arm. But I think there's been some volatility there. But what he can do is maybe not nullify the volatility, but be able to extend plays with his legs and create a little bit, create obviously not more than a little bit, create with his legs and not be as damaging with his volatility. Yeah, and another thing is uh, why I really liked him is his running ability is so rare. If you're a defensive coordinator, you have to be able to prep for him. Oh, yeah. There are some coverages you will not be able to do. Like, you cannot play man cover uh, cover two man on Lamar Jackson because you're going to need somebody, a linebacker or a slot player, to be watching Lamar. Oh, you yeah. You need a backside linebacker. So 
he literally just takes out twenty percent of some teams' playbooks, and I think that's going to be huge. Yes, volatility going to happen. Yep. It's probably going to be some Cam Newton Cam Newton type games uh, against the Chiefs. I was a little surprised at the game plan because he was throwing a lot of vertical passes outside the numbers. Yeah. And there were a lot of passes that were, like, close, like just off a wide receiver's fingertips or, like, oh, if that was Calvin Johnson or Randy Moss, he could have caught it, but no, it's Willie Sneed. Right. So, while, yes, inaccuracy is going to be there, it can still be count uh, – I believe his running ability and how defenses will need to prepare for him can counteract that to the point where he'll be a better version of Cam uh, Cam Newton, so to speak. Right. I mean, Lamar definitely has improved his accuracy this year, whatever he did. But I think it's going to be a nuts. It's going to be Cam Newton esque in a way, but I think he could be. A, it's just a big. I think he could be a more accurate version of Cam Newton. I know Cam Newton was a... Uh, I was going to say Cam Newton's a great quarterback, but I don't know. But I think he can be a very good player with some volatility, basically. But All right. One more, one more uh, great Lamar Jackson stat before we uh, move on. All right. Uh, against uh, the Miami Dolphins, mm-hmm. his adjusted... Uh, yards per attempt so it's like yards per attempt but you get bonuses for touchdowns and you get deductions for interceptions okay uh his adjusted yards per attempt was 20 around 20 for that game and it was second all time my Only god Johnny Unitas has had a better uh pa- um, game passing according to that metric than Lamar Jackson did I know it's against the Dolphins right but you're supposed to be able to pass and destroy the Dolphins when you go against the Dolphins, and boy, did he do that. It was it was impressive nonetheless. I mean, that Dolphins team isn't good at all in the slightest, but he was throwing some dimes out there, not going to lie. All right. What are your thoughts on uh, Teddy Bridgewater? How do you think he's been doing uh, facing the uh, replacing Breeze? So, this, I, oh my goodness. So, Breeze is going to be out, I believe it was four to six weeks. He's going to be out... Uh, Healthy amount of time. But Teddy Bridgewater, former backup for the Vikings, former Louisville quarterback like Lamar Jackson, not the same player at all. But so Saints played the Seahawks. They won. People were people were not maybe high on Ted Bridgewater in that game, but he didn't really do a lot. But they still liked what he did. But Teddy Bridgewater worries me so much so to this, even after the win against the Seahawks. He had two touchdowns. Both of which were on screens. They had a special teams touchdown. I can't remember the last one, but I really don't believe in Teddy Bridgewater at all. He's not... They're running the same system they ran with Drew Brees with those quick reads, getting out of his hands, and killing your teams with like eight yard passes, ten yard passes. But Teddy is the same style as Brees, as he likes to get out of his hands quickly, but he's not as good as Brees is doing it. He takes longer with it in the pocket. He takes longer in the reads. He's not as accurate as Breeze. He doesn't go as deep as Breeze usually does. And now that they're facing the schedule, so if Breeze comes back in five weeks, so he's gone for four weeks, they're facing the Cowboys, really tough, which will kill him more there. Buccaneers, not as tough. They're playing the Jaguars, really tough defense, and Gardner Minshew is a god right now, apparently. And you're playing the Bears, really tough defense. I mean, 
they at best are going one, at least at best are going to win one of those games. Unless I mean, I think they're going Buccaneers just because Jameis is Jameis and that team is not good right now. But Teddy Bridgewater is going to need play out of his mind right now to win these games. But he's not going to be able to because he's just not that guy, especially with the teams that they're facing. All right, I think I'm going to uh, disagree with you on that one. Okay. I think if you're going to compare Teddy Bridgewater to Drew Brees, then obviously Teddy Bridgewater is going to uh, come on the uh, lower end. Right, right. But if you compare Teddy Bridgewater to what most other backup quarterbacks or French starters is, I think you have kind of an ideal quarterback to replace Drew Brees. Okay. Teddy Bridgewater is a smart quarterback. He's not going to force throws. He's not going to make mistakes, and I think that is the kind of quarterback you need to uh, steady the fort until uh, Breeze comes back. The Saints have a solid defense. They have good True. weapons. Dink and dunk to Michael Thomas, and <laughs> dink and dunk to Alvin, Kama- uh, Alvin Kamara. And uh, Teddy Bridgewater has at least a solid enough arm to maybe throw in a big play or two throughout the whole month. <laughs> and... <laughs> That might be good enough for if uh, everything goes right for them to win maybe actually half of those games. I mean, I could see maybe half the games. I could see the Buccaneers for sure. Jameis is Jameis. He's so bad to me. But the Bears game. So the reason I'm worried about this, Jack. Okay, I'll, I'll break down the game. So Cowboys, I'm worried about because you're gonna be able, you're gonna need to be able to score against the Cowboys because Kellen Moore. And Dak Prescott are clicking on all cylinders right now. And I don't know if that same defense is going to be able to stop them. I think they'll be able to slow them down somewhat. But it's going to be able to stop them. I think they're going to be able to score with them. And that's what works with Teddy on that one. Buccaneers, I can see them beating because Jameis. Jaguars, really good defense. And they can score with Gardner Minshew. Bears, I mean, Mitchell Trubisky. I'm a Packers fan. And Trubisky, he's so bad. So bad. So I could see them winning that game because I could see it being a low-scoring game where Teddy actually it fit, fits into Teddy play style, like you said, where he's not going to be stupid with the ball. He's not going to throw it in a double coverage. He's not going to throw it in a bad place. He's going to be careful with it. He's going to take those short yardage plays. And that, that style actually might win them the game. But uh, he still just worries me slightly because I think in that Jaguars and Cowboys game, I think he takes enough risks. He didn't throw it deep enough. He might have that one throw in the whole month that actually is a good, a really, really big time throw to say PFF. But he still just worries me a little bit. Absolutely, I, I can see, I can see it. As a Browns fan, I've seen so much bad quarterback play. <laughs> I've watched so much Brandon Whedon and Deshaun Kaiser. My Brandon whole Whedon. Life. When I just see a guy <laughs> who can dink and dunk and not throw interceptions and be smart with the ball, I'm like, be thankful for it. I've had to say that to, uh, I know we talked about Andy Dalton before, but I've had to say that so many times to Bengals fans, oh, uh, Andy Dalton sucks, he's the worst quarterback in the NFL, and I'll just be like, I'm watching Deshaun Kaiser just fumble the ball and throw 26 interceptions. You gotta appreciate, and I think Bridgewater is a pretty pretty underrated quarterback, if his knee didn't explode a couple of years ago, I think he would oh, actually yeah. be a pretty uh, pretty solid starter in the NFL above the uh, 
the Dalton line. I gotta get that copyrighted now here soon. Yeah, I mean that that injury. Oh my god, that was awful. But I guess when you look at it that way, especially from a Browns fan perspective, where the, you guys just get these awful quarterbacks like Kaiser, Manziel, and like the thirty-year-old uh, uh, Brandon Whedon. I, I, I get it. I can understand it. He just from a winning games and like him taking over game perspective, he worries me. I don't think he's a winner of the game, but I think he can keep you in him. But going from one quarterback to another, what do you think about Matty Ice, Matt Ryan? All right, so Matt Ryan was a quarterback that I was really, really high on coming into this year. Like, if I had money to gamble on sports, uh, I would probably have put money on Matt Ryan to win the MVP this year. Mm-hmm. Granted, he's not because Pat Mahomes is winning the MVP this year. Yeah. But – one of the things that just kind of struck me is how much interceptions he were th- he was throwing and how many of them were on plays that were just, there's no other way to describe them, just dumb, idiotic, like, like he was trying to throw an interception. Now, the Falcons have an incredible defense. You know, the Falcons have an incredible offense. Jones, Ridley, Freeman, we know, we know the story. Yep. And Matt Ryan cannot consistently be this bad of a decision make uh, decision maker. Decision making is something that you can watch in film and you can improve. And fantasy wise, Matt Ryan has still been able to contribute at least pretty well. He's got loads of more inside indoor games coming up. Like I think thirteen out of the sixteen games this year are in a dome. Mm-hmm. I think Matt Ryan will be a really interesting buy low candidate for the uh, rest of the season. I think he can only really get better. And I think once this offense gets clicking, it can be sort of uh, it can be a top five offense. Yeah, I mean, in my earlier episodes of this podcast, I talked about Matt Ryan and how I was super high in him with MVP. I had like the top three MVP. I had Mahomes, I believe Rodgers, which is not going to happen this year for sure. And I had Matt Ryan. I I was so high Matt Ryan, especially from the stats last year. He went so underrated. I mean, he was like, he was top five in touchdowns and top five in yards, and he looked really good. And I'm so high in the Falcons as a team. Like, Deion Jones coming back, Devontae Freeman coming back, Keon O'Neal coming back. I was so high on them. But Matt Ryan hasn't played like the Matt Ryan I thought he'd be. I could, I agree. I could see him coming back and being like Matt Ryan of old. It's not MVP season Matt Ryan, but I could see him being the top ten quarterback everybody knows Matt Ryan to be. I just I was shocked to see how bad he was doing. Like I thought the first game was a fluke, and I thought okay here he comes back, but he just hasn't been the Matt Ryan I expected. Yeah, I mean he played pretty well in the second half of uh, last week's game, but it still wasn't good enough to uh, get the victory. And the Eagles game, he threw that perfect pass to Julio Jones yeah. fourth down. So there still is there still is the flashes of 2017 MVP oh, yeah. Ryan that he shows, but it's underneath just uh, PFF uh, branded turnover worthy throws. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, uh, good. It, it, it's got it's got to change. I feel like he's too good of a quarterback for him to continue stinking this much. I it's, it's uh, the, his arm strength. I know last year some people were saying that the velocity was dipping and maybe that was a cause for concern. I haven't really looked into that, 
But unless there's something really seriously wrong with his arm or some Cam Newton-type mystery illness affecting him, Matt Ryan's a perfect candidate to bounce back I agree. and still finish up with 4,600 4, yards, third, high 30 touchdowns. Yeah, I agree. I think it's completely possible. His ability, I think, is still there. I've, I haven't looked into the velocity or arm strength all much either, but I think his talent is still there to be a good quarterback and really good quarterback at that level. Uh, absolutely. All right. So uh, from one interesting NFC offense to another, what are your thoughts on the Vikings this year? Dalvin Cook's killing it, isn't he? Oh, he he's killing it, but I don't know if he can keep killing it. I mean, okay, fair warning, I am a Packers fan. But so before the season started, Mike Zimmer was joined the team of and joined the side of establish a run run the ball, keep running the ball until they can't run the ball anymore, until Dalvin Cook has no legs left. Um, I don't... And they won two out of three games, I, but I really don't think it's going to be possible to keep this going up when they face a good defense. I mean, they faced Packers, lost to the Packers. Packers got torched yesterday. Not good, but... Oakland and uh, Atlanta. They beat Atlanta and beat Oakland soundly. And me and you both know, both in analytics, both work in PFF, but running the ball just isn't valuable in the NFL, and it isn't really a thing you should be doing at a high rate in the NFL. I mean, Oakland, I don't know what happened with Oakland, why they couldn't stop the run. They looked awful. They were just, like, not putting guys in gaps and not playing even the most basic run defense that you could teach a player. And the... Cried the Vikings, they gashed them for it. But when you play teams like they got Chicago coming up next this coming week, they got Philly in two weeks, they got Detroit the week after that, who's got a good run defense. You're not going to be able to keep running the ball effectively like this, and you're going to force Kirk Cousins to throw the ball. It's just not going to be sustainable. Their offense is going to be sustainable in general. I think they're going to sputter out, and I think it's just going to be a, not a failed season for them, but not a season that they hope for. Yeah, sustainable was the key word that I was thinking about, too. Running the ball in today's NFL is not for winning football games. It can be used for sealing out wins in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, could be used for dra- uh, draining out time, and it can be used for it's still probably the best way of getting a third and one or a fourth and one. But it's not something that you can do when you're behind. And it's not something you can really do in close games to stay competitive. So, yeah, I think they're go- the Vikings are going to be a team that's going to continue to crush bad teams and beat them by 20 or so points. Because when they start running out the clock, Dalvin Cook's going to break break one out. Dalvin Cook is looking like he's going to join the conversation of Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon as being some of the being in the top four running backs in the uh, NFL. But it's not going to help the team win if Kirk Cousins is going to be playing, like, absolute garbage. His, uh, I'm just looking at it right now, his PFF grade is lower than Cam Newton's right now. Oh, my God. And that's really, really bad. I, I mean, okay, so I write for Fansided, which is like a football writing platform. You can write for sports or sports. But I wrote, I ranked... The QBs coming into this year, you division. So I ranked like 
Aaron Rodgers one, and I had Cousins two, and Stafford three, and Trubisky four. I really, if I could change it, I put like Trubisky. I put, I not punch Trubisky. I put Stafford easily ahead of Cousins. I was it's not high on Cousins, but I was a more of a believer in Cousins than most people were. I think, but man, he's been worse than I really expected him to be. He was solid, but man, last year too solid. But this year, my God. Yeah, I've been another Kirk Cousins defender. Uh, a lot of people on the uh, NFL memes type people will be like, oh, Kirk Cousins can't do anything against good teams and waste of $27 million. And I'm like, well, he actually played pretty well considering his offensive line is horrendous. Right. Very, very bad. So I've always kind of like stood up for him. But I guess now that they're so focused on establishing the run, they somehow lost uh, their ability to pass. It's, They're not really doing too much there. It's brutal. I mean, I get, I get Mike Zimmer. I get he wants to run the ball, but you're paying your dude twenty seven million dollars. He's not awful, Kirk Cousins, but this offense is gonna. I can tell right now when they play. They have Bears. They got Philly, who's looking good defensively. Detroit's good defensively, especially in the run game, which they want to do. This, I think it's going to sputter out. I don't, boy, I don't think it's sustainable. But Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, in the NFL, when uh, everyone is moving to 11 personnel, yep. I think uh, 60%, 60-something percent of plays in uh, the NFL are now run out of 11 personnel. With the Minnesota Vikings, it's only 29. They much prefer to run out of Goodness. two back formations, two tight end formations, than actually play modern NFL offense. And I can understand some contrarianism, some, oh, uh, when everyone is zigging, you yeah. try to zag. Yep. But if you're going to do that, you're going to need to have more success in doing so. And you can't be doing that when you have such a bad offensive line, oh. when you've got... Garrett Badbury at the center. <laughs> oh my, I was literally waiting. After you were going to say your thing, I was going to say that too. Their offensive line is atrocious. In, out On the outside, it's not as atrocious as the interior. They got like, it's okay. But Bradbury as a center, especially in pass blocking, run blocking is not that good either. Pass blocking, he was awful. I believe at one point in PFF's grading system, he had a 0.0 pass blocking grade, which basically means he's the worst that we've graded ever. He is atrocious pass blocker. I I was, as watching the draft, I was shocked that the Vikings took Bradbury. I would not have taken him that high, nearly high. I was taking Elgin Jenkins, who was my, one of my favorite interior linemen, who the Packers got, thankfully. I was taking him higher. But man, he has been atrocious. Speaking of running the ball, let's talk about what you think about Austin Eckler and this whole running situation and the Chargers. Uh, so uh, a player that I just drafted in so many of my fantasy leagues and made me feel so good was Eckler. <laughs> I, was, I was of the opinion that, uh, one, Austin Eckler is good, which he is, and of the opinion that Melvin Gordon probably isn't going to play for the first eight weeks. Right. It was only four or five weeks. But I still think that having him just lead my team to a whole bunch of three and one and four and oh, uh, four and oh starts probably was worth it by, by itself. 
But now with Melvin Ingram, you know, Melvin Gordon coming back, I think he's going to fall into that RB2, RB3 range, sadly. Uh, Melvin Gordon's going to be taking more of the early down work. He's going to be taking more of the touchdowns, which is one of the reasons that he was so valuable. But he still is going to keep all the pass, uh, most of the pass catching uh, duties. I think at this point, even though Melvin Gordon is a really good, um, a really good pass catcher, Austin Eckler is significantly better. So you can't just take him off the field on third downs. So he'll still have some value going forward if Melvin Gordon comes and plays like Melvin Gordon. But it'll probably be more as a flex option or a bi-week felon. Unless Melvin Gordon just gets hurt hurt again. Because he's got to have his uh, two-game ankle injury at some point this season, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm from Wisconsin Packers fan, so I watched Melvin Gordon play in college. He was really good. But the situation in uh, out in L.A., the Chargers, is interesting. Because of the fact that you said that Austin Eckler is one of the better pass catchers as a running back. Uh, Melvin Gordon will get those early down runs. He will probably get those red zone opportunities and the goal line opportunities that Austin Eckler won't get. But Eckler will still catch those third down, third and eight, third and seven passes and keep his fantasy relevance like up. It's just it's an interesting situation out there in LA right now. Yep, and I think this is another um, another feather in the cap of running backs are worthless. Yep. He, he held out, thought he had value, and then leaves. And, I mean, Austin Eckler is a good running back, but he did everything Melvin, uh, Melvin Gordon could do and then a little, then a little extra. I'd, I would much rather just have Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler and, and pay them $3 million and have to pay Melvin Gordon even 10 and 10 isn't even close to what it would take to sign the guy. I think more and more teams are going to realize, see what happened with the Chiefs with Kareem Hunt and them still having success with uh, a committee of LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson. Right. How the Rams were able to continue running well with C.J. Anderson. Oh, yeah. That it has more to do with um, the difference between generational talent and a solid running back getting put in a solid situation isn't that different and definitely isn't worth paying a, a running back Ezekiel Elliott or Lady and Bell money for. Right. I, speaking of that, just a little tangent off that, I thought this year was going to be the year that some team finally, like, in fact, it's one team by being the Cowboys. I thought they were going to finally do it and not sign the running back and prove be the first big team to ever do it with a big running back. But back in my mind, like, uh, Jerry Jones won't do that. Sure enough, Jerry pays him the big bucks and signs to Kelly. It's just, I don't know. Some teams, I think teams are going to start leaning into more towards running back by committee, don't pay your running backs, let them go and draft a new one like in the sixth round. I think it's what the NFL is leaning towards now. The only running backs that are worth that or worth money are Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara and probably soon Saquon. The reason that those guys have value, if we're talking about like what running backs do to have value, there's 
three, four, maybe five things that they that have legitimate value. One, breaking off long runs. Yep. No matter no matter who you are or how how you think of football, you're gonna take a fifty yard run. It's incredibly valuable. It kills the defense. Yeah. Don't really need much explaining for that. Catching the ball out of the back, uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. In particular, catching the ball on wheel routes and yeah, uh, or little angle routes, Texas routes, stuff more than just little dump offs is very, very valuable. Breaking tackles is very valuable. A running back who can break tackles is always going to be better than one who doesn't. Yep. So making plays on his own. Right. Right. And this is kind of the uh, if these two are the kind of the iffy ones. Pass blocking, someone like Jordan Howard to stay on third downs just because of his greatness in pass blocking. And the last thing is durability, which is probably the most overrated of them. So guys like Kamara, he has pretty much pretty much all of those except pass blocking and durability. Yeah. Someone like Kamara, he has most of those. But somebody like Zeke, Zeke's break, uh, tackle breaking numbers were actually quite average. His big play numbers were like good to average his pass blocking's all right his catching out of the backfield's all right the only elite trait he has is he doesn't get hurt and can carry carry 25 carries by himself but the value of that compared to having some backs who are better at the other things and split the carries 12 and 12 i maybe it's just personal preference for my uh devotion to more analytics-based thinking i take i would take the committee Oh, yeah, I absolutely take a penny. Okay, I think you maybe not might completely do the same, but we're talking about, when you're talking about Zeke Elliott, it reminded me, I was talking to my brother about this earlier, but I do not think Zeke Elliott is, like, your top-tier running back, like your Saquon, Kamara, McCaffrey, high-end, super really good guy. I think he falls more into the good to, like, above-average category because, I could, like, I have told him the same exact thing you were saying. He doesn't do anything as elite besides be able to carry it often, which isn't that valuable, really. He's not super fast. He's not going to make guys miss. He's not running routes like McCaffrey and Kamara can do. He's just a solid, good running back, but that's best he is, I think. Yeah, and that's not even that's not even getting into his uh, off-the-field and character stuff. Ugh. I mean, I've... I've had some intel being from Ohio that he is kind of a D-bag. Oh I actually knew a girl who was like, uh, that, that uh, Zeke was trying to like date and uh, get with. Mm-hmm. And I asked her about what happened. Hey, like, why, are, why aren't you still talking with Zeke? Why are you just dating some regular foot, uh, football guy at a Mac school? And she was like, yeah, I talked with Zeke. He was too much of a boy for me. Like, <laughs> Her describing this guy as a boy, a cow- Dallas Cowboys running back, and then going on and dating someone like younger than her, younger than him and her, just I think kind of says everything you need to know about his immature his immaturity. Now, granted, that's still just kind of like gossip, but still also a fun story and I think worthy of telling. <laughs> right, I think when you have so many stars come out so often relating to off-the-field issues. I'm not trying to accuse him of anything, but I think something has to be there. It's... Even if he... Even if, like... Not saying guilty, but even... 
say he was innocent of all these, like in court of law per se, something, all these rumors about especially with women and then the bodyguard or bouncer, excuse me, it's something is definitely there with his yeah, altitude like issues. Yeah, like I don't think he belongs in jail, but right, I don't think of course. I'm out of place calling him a D-bag. Right, no, I completely agree. All right. Uh, so there you go. There is your uh, PFF sponsored running backs don't matter rant. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Uh, we might, might as well uh, get that branded too. They brainwashed us into it. Yep. We're uh, sorry, sorry, purists. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the uh, Eagles, a team that uh, absolutely destroyed our arguments last night uh, by running the ball and winning a football game. Oh, how do you feel about their team, both maybe in the game yesterday and in the season overall? So I was working in the game last night for Fox Sports, so I didn't get to see much of the game. But what I did see is the Eagles actually looked good. Which I, Okay, so before the season, I was super high on the Eagles. They, to me, had one of the best rosters in the NFL. They had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Lane Johnson, Grandpa Jason Peters is still really good. Jason Kelsey at center is still really good. And then, say Jason Peters like, got hurt again this year, like he did previously, they still had uh, that really good left tackle, who they draft, first-round pick. Andre, D- Andre Dillard from Houston. Andre Dillard is a monster. I blanked on his name, but he was my favorite offensive line coming into this draft. He's so such good. good such good. He's so good at everything. He's such a good pass blocker. But the Eagles, I, beginning of the season, I... Really was hyped on, hyped on them. Really thought they were a really good team. Carson Wentz is back. They got Deshaun Jackson there for a deep threat. Drafted to single white side. Really liked out of Stanford. And I was super high on, super high on them. And they just didn't really impress me right away. I mean, they have such good roster, such good coaching with uh, Doug Peterson. And I like Doug Peterson. But then they lose to the Lions. They lose to the Falcons. Played a really tight game against the Redskins to come back. But I really don't see this keep going. I can't see them being this, not bad, but this close with teams for the foreseeable future. I think they're eventually going to pull away, get their crap together, probably be a wild card team like 9-7, and seven, and eventually just be the Eagles who we saw and who I think they're going to be. And I think that Packer game where they torched the Packers and, I mean, ran the ball. I don't know how that, but we're getting this in a conversation, but I think they're going to turn back on the Eagles of before, of old. Absolutely. So I run the PFF Eagles account. Yep, uh, go follow so that. I have, I have my pulse a little bit on the Eagles. They're a team that I do enjoy. Uh, I, I remember uh, back in the day I used to run my all my Madden franchises with the the uh, Eagles, because the Browns were just so bad and they weren't fun. So I do have a little soft spot for them. But yeah, coming into the season, uh, I put out a tweet with all of our graphics, and according to PFF, the Eagles coming into the season had the best offensive line, the best pass rush unit, and the best wide receiver unit. And when I put this down, it got like so many retweets and so many likes, and that got all the hubbub going on. And while 
it's not as good as it was before. The Cowboys O line's better. The Eagles pass rush lost guys like Malik Jackson yeah, and yeah. Butcher Cox has been still nursing that foot injury. This team still has just incredible potential and maybe more importantly, just incredible depth. Let's Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson get hurt. Their wide receivers are Nelson Aguilar, who's got the drop seat, but he's still like a solid two wide receiver. You got J.J. Arcega Whiteside, who is high ups high upside rookie, definitely has a definitely can play for most NFL teams right now. Yep. It's still got guys like Ertz, Matt Collins, he can still be a deep threat. Their their second unit of wide receivers are probably better than Jacksonville's first unit. They're it's just it's just ridiculous how much depth they uh depth they have. And I kind of agree that this just seems like a team that's going to fight and claw for a wild card. And then once they get in, they're going to be able to upset a team like the like the Packers, like the Saints, like the Cowboys, and make some noise. I know preseason my prediction was uh, Patriots over Eagles in the Super Bowl. And I think I'm going, I think I'm going to st- uh, stick with that. I think the Eagles are going to be very dangerous. Loads of offensive line, great offensive line, great weapons. All they got to do is uh, put it all together, stop dropping passes, and uh, <laughs> stop playing like the Browns. Yeah, honestly, I mean, the Eagles they just have everything on paper. Good coach, good players. That could be. They have everything to be a good team. Speaking of the Browns, you're from Cleveland. You're from Ohio. You've seen the Browns your whole life. The Browns last year get Baker Mayfield. They win a game. Comes in for Tyra Taylor. They win a game against the Jets. They look good. Baker plays good. Baker probably was second rookie of the year behind Saquon. And this year, everybody's so excited. They got Olivier Vernon from the Giants. They got Odell Beckham Jr. from the Giants. They improved. Miles Garrett still there improving. And it looks really good. And then play the Titans. They lose. They don't look as good as they, people hope they do. What is going on in Cleveland? Yeah, I think uh, the, I, the, there's some similarities between the Browns and the Eagles where they're just kind of hurting themselves with sloppy play, sloppy plays, bad, bad penalties at the, uh, at the worst possible time. I believe I saw there was this great chart I saw. It was points lost due to penalties where the average team so far has cost themselves – about 15 to 20 points in penalties in the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. And the Browns have already lost more, uh, more than 40. Goodness. We're killing ourselves with penalties on offense and killing ourselves with penalties on defense and just making it harder. And the teams that we've been going against are not cupcakes. I mean, the Jets were a cupcake, but we beat them. Right. But losing to the Rams by seven when you have a chance to win it at the end, it, it doesn't feel like the end of the world. And the Titans game, that was just kind of the, that was the fluke game. That was where most of the mistakes happened. We were close to them in the fourth quarter, and then Baker Mayfield tried going hero mode and threw three straight, pretty much three straight picks. <laughs> I mean, and just everything made things worse. Everything snowballed. So if you take that Tennessee Titans game out, I still think this is a team that's going that's going to contend. You just have to get clear the mistakes and well and you also gotta hope baker gets better right coming out of oklahoma baker was 
one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the country. Uh, granted, he was playing with Big 12 defenses where I could play cornerback out there. But the defenses he was facing in the Big 12 were not good, but he was still throwing these really accurate passes. And that was his big strength coming in the NFL. And he showed he can make those really tight, not even t- really tight window throws, but he can make those really accurate throws and win new games. But Baker needs to get better. And we were going we were to talk about schematics, but we'll just touch on it now with the Browns around here. What do you think of Freddie Kitchens as the head coach of the Browns? Okay, so that's kind of been a big argument as people are trying to trash Freddie Kitchens. Right. But I'm not going to put all of the blame on Kitchens, and I'm not going to put all of the blame on Baker. You just got to have to split it 50-50. Okay, that's Baker fair. right now is just having a difficult time reading defenses. There will be times when he'll drop back, and once that, once that foot plants on that last step of the drop, you you should see an open receiver and like when you if you look at like all 22 there will usually be a, a receiver that he has a chance to hit yep. but he doesn't hit it it's like he's not reading the defense where he thinks there's a guy that's there that isn't there or doesn't see a guy that's there and then he'll just like sit there for a second panic and then he'll just run out to the right and try to make some type of magic happen and, I mean, we kind of know that, like, oh, Baker running around in the pocket, that there's, like, some magic to him. There's some Far- Brett Favre, some Aaron Rodgers, yeah. some Pat Mahomes when he's running around. That's what it was like in college in his first year. But now, whenever I'm seeing it, I'm just like, no, 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 stop. What are you doing? Stay in the pocket. The offensive line has somewhat of a pocket for you. You don't need to be running around. You almost, like, panic when he starts running around and getting scared when he starts running around rather than getting excited. So I'm not sure if this is just the defenses he's been going against. I mean, he's gone against Dean Pease, a great defense coordinator for oh, the yeah. Titans. Oh, yeah. He's gone against Greg Williams, who knows him from his time in Cleveland. And he's going against Wade Phillips. Those are two of three of the best defensive schemers in all of football. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that it's just – those guys had great game plans going forward, disguised their coverages and confused him, and that the rest of the defensive coordinators don't have the ability to pick up on those tra- uh, pick up on those traits, and that Baker can get back to sling it in, slinging it in the pocket. He's been doing great on quick RPO plays, uh, great when he's gets the gets rid of the ball early. It's just when the play when the play goes long. When he's under pressure or when he's under what I call anti-pressure, like when a team just drops three and has everybody in coverage and gets everybody covered and quarterback has to uh, make something happen himself, it just hasn't been hap- it just hasn't been happening yet. And I think and I hope and I hope a lot that it will because Baker's too good, Odell's too good, and Jarvis is too good. Offensive line's okay, but good enough that this should be a top-five offense, and I want to start seeing it. Right. I think the Browns have, on talent, some of the best offensive players in the NFL, which Jarvis, Odell, Baker, Nick Chubb's a good running back, and Joke was a solid tight end. But I, I, I agree with you where you do need to split the blame on this Browns, not failure, but not as successful as you want it to be. I think you need to split it both ways on Kitchens and on Baker. Baker needs to improve. I think one thing Baker's weakness was coming out of college was his pocket, leaving pockets a little early and trying to make things happen on his own. He hasn't always been able to, but he does have the ability to. But this, 
team hasn't been what I want, expected it to be. But I agree. You need to split it both ways with Kitchens and his questionable play calling occasionally. But you must give it a bake as well, where he's occasionally misread defenses, missing open guys, not seeing them, and just can't make stuff happen when there's under pressure. But I think the Browns will bounce back. I still have some belief in the Browns this year. Yeah, I think in a weak AFC North division that they'll have a chance to compete. The schedule's really tough at the beginning, but gets easier easier towards the end. Even if we lose to the Ravens, which I hope we don't, uh, I still think there's a chance that we can kind of go like Indianapolis Colts or Houston Texans and go on a nice run late in the season. And I think that talent is it's there to do that. Yep. So... Our next segment, well, next segment, but uh, me and Paul have, we've known him, Paul, for about a few months now, maybe probably more than a few months, but uh, we're both trying to get in the sports industry. I work for PFF, here's PFF, we do numerous things. Let's just kind of talk about what breaking into the sports industry is like. What was it like for you trying to break into well, it? Well, the cool thing, uh, I wouldn't say if this uh, segment's about break uh what it's like to finally break in right it's like we're in the process of breaking yeah in. like yeah i mean pff it's it's nice but it's like at, at my at our stage it's still part-time for us true we still have uh you still have a job we're doing production stuff with fox sports i uh i do ushering with the cleveland indians it's it's hard like most of these jobs are very competitive because it's very competitive, we don't get paid a lot, so we end up having to balance out like multiple uh, commitments and multiple skills, and just trying to knock on every door and just hopes hope the big break finally comes. Right. I mean, trying to enter the sports business and break into it, even attempting to and getting your foot in the door, is extremely hard. I mean. PFF, I found online, and the process of just trying to get into PFF was long, long. You do all these games. People who don't know who haven't tried to play in there. It's a lot of games. It's a lot of hard work that goes into even trying to get into PFF to get, even get your foot in the door of PFF. It's just def- it's not, not easy at all. It's not easy. The pay isn't great most of the time. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of balancing jobs, school, Free time, the free time you do have, it's it's not easy, but I think in the end it's worth it. Yeah, that's my goal. I, when uh, I actually worked with uh, PFF's com- uh, competition at a place called Sports Info Solutions, and that was more of like a full time forty hours a week. Essentially, for forty hours a week, I was watching uh, watching football and breaking down the game tape and putting putting stats in, and I loved it. It was like. I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than PFF because I'm doing that more part-time. Yep. But I, I couldn't afford rent. I was losing money, like, hand over fist because I had to pay rent. I had was starting to start paying back college loans. Right. It just it wasn't feasibly possible, so I had to I had to move back, move back home and work PFF part-time and work other jobs part-time. But uh, I think that I have a really good shot at – Moving on, I'm working hard on being a scout. I'm working on writing a draft guide. So I'm sure I'll probably try to come back for some draft shows later on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Show you what I'm accomplishing. For sure. But, uh, 
one of the big things I do is I go down to the senior ball every year. That's that's a huge part. Everyone says who you know, not what you know. I, I go down to the senior ball every year, and I just try to talk with, talk with everybody. I've talked with uh, real NFL scouts, showed them my work, and a lot of people say I'm I'm close. So it's just really tough having to balance out going for your dreams and also having making sure you have enough money to live. And sometimes you just think, maybe I should just get a job with an insurance company so I have money <laughs> rather than actually just go after what I've almost felt like is my destiny. Right. I mean, it's definitely easy. I completely agree with it. A lot of the times, even to get your foot in the door, it's a lot of times who you know. Not what you know, because you could know, you could be really talented or something, but if nobody knows who you are, and nobody knows how talented you are at said thing, you're not going to, nobody's going to care, and nobody's going to choose you to be work for them. Like, I got in working with ESPN because my dad knew a guy, and he knew, my dad's friend knew how good I was at production, how good I was, and how talented I was, and how much work I put in this already. He got me in the door at ESPN. And ESPN, I worked one of football, production stuff, or runner stuff. Just basic kind of stuff because my first time there working with them ever. And uh, uh, my boss liked me a lot. She kind of passed my name around, talked talk, talk, talk to people how good I was. And that kind of spread enough Fox into CBS. And it's really just making a really good first impression, knowing people, and just working hard, really. It's yeah. It's not like... Have, good. Uh, oh, you also have to have a good, like, I uh, have to have a a good ability to quickly recognize who your types of guys are, who operates on your same w- uh, wavelength. Like if you're a bright, fun, like love to talk a lot guy, oh, yeah. right? kind of like the more charismatic guy, you want to try to find other guys who operate off that same style. Yep. If you're all bright, charismatic, and you're trying to network with a guy who's more cold and analytical, it may not work. One of my best, uh, best networking uh, successes, um, it got me. It started in college, and it took so while for it to manifest. But um, there is a little program that happens at Bowling Green State University, where I attended school, where um, I, like I think some some guy who graduated in the '60s, he worked with the NFL for a while, and now he uh, he hosts a boot camp at Bowling Green, where he brings in a whole bunch of former NFL players and a whole bunch of media people, and the media people will train like the NFL players on how to break into the media when they um when they retire yep so I was t- talking to guys like Michael Turner but one of the headlining speakers was a guy named Jerry Madelon okay Jerry Madelon was the uh was a talent coach at ESPN who yep. would uh teach a talent how to do things and we got we when, uh, when I started talking with him I could just tell that we were just on the same wavelength uh we both had the same style style of humor. He thought I was he thought I was funny and smart and hardworking and had a good good head on my shoulders. And I was list I was eating up all the everything he said. And uh, he said that he, uh, I reminded him of Phil Savage. Okay. I knew because he used to be the general manager of the Browns. Right. And then at, at the time he was the head of the Senior Bowl, so he ended up giving me this guy's contact information to try to get in touch with him. And it didn't really work at first. But then, like, a, like I'm just emailing him, like, once every three to six months at this point. But then, like, a year later, I got an invite to Senior Bowl Scout School off of a recommendation from this guy. 
Wow. Uh, so I got to go down to Mobile in June, and I got to learn, like, scouting stuff from Phil Savage and the people, the scouts at the Senior Bowl. And it was, like, one of the coolest things, and that was kind of, like, where I learned that, hey, you got to – you gotta meet people. You gotta talk to oh, yeah. people. You gotta e- you gotta email your dudes. You gotta email your dudes like a couple times a year, so they always know how you're doing. And you gotta just always always make sure that they remember you and know who you are. I think it also helps that I look like I'm 17 years old at 24. <sighs> it makes me a little bit more memorable. Uh, but yeah, that was one of the things that uh, I learned, and just hope that hope that breakthrough is. Uh, coming shortly trust me that age thing trust me i'm i've been oh 20 years old i'm 20 years old currently but i look like i'm 14 years old people told me people have like asked how old i was like a rough baseball team people asked oh how old are you i'm like i guess how old i am they say like 15 i'm like 20 years old and like i get a thousand times a day but uh knowing people uh speaking of that and connections so i work for wisconsin herd which is a g league basketball team where I'm from, their G League team for the Milwaukee Bucks. For who don't know, G League is like minor league for basketball, essentially. So, our for them, we did, I do stats to them, so I do game day stats, so I'll be coordinating stats for the live games and all that. We, the herd crew, me and two other guys went down to Chicago because one of them saw something about uh, their the G League elite camp and the NBA camp for like Guys who weren't probably gonna make the NBA, but who G League teams were interested in, and who probably gonna make G League rosters for sure, or borderline NBA guys, they could go down there and train, show off their skills, and all that down there for and G League scouts, some NBA scouts, and G League front office executives, and all that. And they invited us down there because we were asking, "Hey, do you guys need somebody to work that? We can work that. We live right, we live like however many hours away. We can come down there." We went down there. We did that stuff. Did the stats. We met some people. Met like the head, one of the head stats guys who runs the stat system there for the NBA. We met some like uh, head of the operations guys down there, and had a good time. Talked to them. They recognized that we talked to them. Hung out with them all the time and all that. Had a good time. Cut to this past summer, my boss emails us, sends me and another guy that out to Vegas to go do some training stuff for stats. We go to Vegas, we're in this little room training, and the head, one of the head guys who we talked to before, he recognizes us, he comes to talk to us, he talks to us, he takes us into the side room where they're sitting, we hang out with him for a while, one of the head G-League operation guys come talk to us, he hang out with him for a while, and it's so much about connections that they recognize you, and it keeps you in mind, it's so much about that, and with the G-League operations guy, we uh, heard might be testing out something that... Uh, only NBA teams use, but we might be testing it out for from a G League, G League perspective to see how it works. And it's just so much about who you know, do they remember you and who you are, and just stay in contact with them. Yep, it's that that's that's how it goes. I mean, you're still a little bit on the er, early part of your career. You still have lots of lots of doors open. I'm not sure if you felt the. Uh, the dread of grow- as you get older, less and more and more of those doors start closing, and they really want you to start specializing. And uh, it gets uh, quite, quite hard, quite and quite interesting. Uh, <laughs> you definitely think about it a lot. Right, right. No, I know what you mean. But All right. let's get something a little more serious. Talk about something a little more entertaining and more fun. 
Madden 20 has released about about a month ago. Maybe I think a little more than a month ago. The new Madden. I've played Madden. Paul, I know you used to play Madden. <laughs> I okay. What did you play in Madden when you played it? What what game modes? Oh, franchise. Franchise. Franchise okay. was all I all I would do. I just love trying to build a team, trying to uh, find the best players, make trades, go through the draft process, coming up with good game plans each and every week. That is what I played in. That is what I did. It was either Madden or trying to glitch and break the game by trying to get right. 1,000 pass receiving yards with Randy Moss. It's either I was super serious or I was just trying to do the most ridiculous things uh, ever. I I play a franchise mode religiously. I still play Madden to this day. But what I have noticed, especially in franchise mode, is they've really geared back on franchise mode and not focused on that as much. And focused on ultimate team and especially Madden and mainly also team. So for those of you who don't know, ultimate franchises are running an NFL franchise like you're the GM, owner, coach, whatever and there's different roles can do in this new Madden. And you run a team, your trades, you're making signing players, drafting players, all that kind of stuff a GM, a coach would do. Ultimate team is like you pull a pack like you would like in real life, like a card pack you find like a Walmart, Target, whatever. And you use these players in real-life games against other players. And Madden and EA is really pushing that because people will buy it and use actual money in the game. And as a franchise player, it saddens me because they've just not focused on franchise at all. Yeah, and it seems to be because they can't find a way to monetize fran- uh, franchise mode. They want to focus on Mutt because it's like having a mobile game where you have to kind of where there's aspects of pay to win, pay to get more yep. players, pay to yep. beat this challenge, so they can get the sixty dollars for you buying the game, and then they can nickel and dime you as you play as you play the game even even further. And it's just not what not what I want to. I play Madden for the for the realism, and heck, that's barely even there anymore. All you have to do is like, I think like every single month you'll find something on Bleacher Report or Barstool about some unfathomable unfathomable glitch where the quarterback throws the ball and it balances on somebody's helmet and then the guy's running with it on his helmet and then the guy gets tackled and what should have been a 50-yard reception becomes an interception because the catch animation doesn't go or tackle animations don't work right and you end up just like almost like the Pokemon Ditto just morphing through the offensive line and coming out the other end. Like... That stuff wasn't even there in, like, Madden 05. Right. Madden 05 was the Madden. I was playing it. And, yeah, if you go on the instant replay, like, a hand might go into somebody's arm. But everything played out played out smooth. There was no glitch that was so preposterous that it could not possibly happen in real, real life. Everything was smooth. Franchise mode was uh, taken care of. There was actual, like, roster uh, trades actually made, like, sense and teams moved in predict uh, normal ways and the new Madden's like I think I saw there was like a video I saw on YouTube where a guy traded like two backup defense alignments and a fourth round pick for Quentin Nelson like it, it <laughs> there's no trade logic right. uh, I think there was another one where someone tried offering him Pat Mahomes for Chris Harris and Broncos said no it 
the, the game just is broken. Too many things happen that don't make sense. It, instead of it making you feel like you're running a real NFL team, it makes you feel like you're playing a, some bizarro video game. The, re, the uh, what is it? The sense of uh, emergement? Yeah, immersion. Immersion. Yeah. Immersion. Yes, it's just not there. Right. I completely agree. So I, I'm obsessed with franchise mode like you were, and I run the old Maddens. How in depth it got. You could go through training camp. You go through the draft. You could literally go to the uh, Senior Bowl. You could do all these different scouting things. Resigning players for agency was so in depth. Scouting players in depth. You could go to the combine. It was so. This is the old Maddens. This is. It was like 05, 06, 07, 08, all those. It was so in-depth, the franchise mode. And you could do so many different tasks as like a GM. You would change like, the price on like hot dogs or whatever. Just a small stuff that was really niche but cool at the same time. Because you feel like you could control. And all this stuff. And then you get to the new Madden 20. Like if you told me like, if you told 10-year-old me who's playing like Madden 08 or Madden 10 or whatever. And told me uh, the 10 years from now. Franchise was getting worse. It would be crazy to me because it was so good. I thought it could only get better, but they'd like like instead of adding things on like you would normally do with like new releases of video games and improving on it, they like scaled things back. Like the scouting system in the new Madden is atrocious. It's atrocious. You like know three right. things about the guy and that's it. Yep. All right. Time to go check out this running back. Let's. I wonder if he's more of a uh, speed guy or a power guy. Right. Okay. Click. Oh, his juke move is an A minus. Well, that doesn't tell me anything about his agility, his acceleration, his speed, like any type of archetype or anything. It's just stupid it's, it's and so bad. bad. Like even from like a depth of like an in-game strategy type standpoint, in the older Maddens, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure if. This came back in the newer Maddens. I doubt not. But you can set defensive assignments. You can set shadow coverage. Like, uh, you can, if you're going against Randy Moss, but you have Champ Bailey, you can have Champ Bailey follow Randy Moss wherever you want. But in a lot of the newer Maddens, there was, like, a exploit where you would just put your best wide receiver in the slot and have him go against linebackers the entire day, and there was no real way to counter that. You could set up, you could set up custom packages. Like, if it's third down and 11, and you want to take, Ted Washington or Vince Wilfork off the field and put your backup defensive end at defensive tackle to to improve your pass rush in a print uh, in a pinch. All you would need to do is press circle and bam, you you have your pass your pass rush package, your third down package, your NASCAR package, or whatever you'd want. And it, this stuff feels like common sense to have in a football game, but it's absent. Yet gold amethyst. Joe Namath, Super Mega Packs are <laughs> now the now the norm. Right. I mean, yeah. So, in the Madden, talking about your shadow coverage, talking about that, they I can tell I can attest to this. So play the new Madden's. They don't really have that at all. What they have in the new, you can kind of change packages a little bit in the new Madden, but it's it's iffy because the process of going through it, you to be, it takes a little bit because you can't do it like out of the game, like out of like you have to do it like while you're in a live game. So if you're in franchise mode and I want, say I'm the Packers and I want uh, somebody else playing at left end, like a pass rushing left end, I can't do it while I'm like in the main like home screen. I have to go into the game, play like the Bears week one and change it and only like that game. Oh, but, so it's like a it's like a manual sub play by play basis. Yeah, it's a right? game per game basis basically, which 
it's they can really prevent. But and they have coaching adjustments now, which is you can be a, when you're tackling a guy, you can be aggressive, which is like you go for uh, big hits, but your chance of them breaking a tackle is bigger now. But or you can do like conservative, where you don't go for big hits. It's just they could have done so much more with that, but it's just so basic and so small. But yeah, it's. From what they did from old franchise to new is awful. I remember, did you play superstar mode at all? Like the career mode at all? Uh, I, I, I played it a little. It, it was it was fun. I remember in Madden 06, you could like do ad scripts for like yeah. movies and TV shows. Yeah, they had all that. To me, that's a little stuff that makes the game like fun because it makes like you feel like you're actually like, a real player. But in the new Madden, it's they have a game mode now where it's like QB1 where you're like a... QB for like they like seven schools like Texas Tech, LSU, uh, a couple more I can't think of off the top of my head. And you go, you play like it's the playoffs of the college playoffs. So you'll be like the semifinals and you play the finals and you do the combine. Combine really is just you're throwing passes and you get drafted by like a certain amount of teams and you're done. And that's it. It takes like 30 minutes and then you're yeah, done. I was, I was watching a playthrough on that and it was probably the most like disappointing thing I've ever seen. Like, if I were to make a QB1 mode, I would make the first thing that's most important is customizing your quarterback's play style. Like, right. You would want to have, like, multiple different things. No, you just choose, oh, I'm a field general. I'm oh, a scrambler. Yeah. I got a big arm. I'm accurate. It's so dumb. And the way they did it was they had, so, they had your guy, whoever it was, like, walking off a bus and being interviewed by a reporter and she asks you what your play style is. And you choose, like, you get, like, four, four like, you get field general, scrambler, improviser, and strong arm. And you go, well, I think I have a really big arm. And he goes, oh, strong arm ability increased. And, like, you could have done so much more with that. So much m- more in-depth. But you go, you get interviewed by a reporter, and that's it. And like, oh, there you go. Then you're field general now. Like, really, guys? We're doing this? Yeah, Come on. Like, oh. It's not like 2K doesn't have like all those different archetypes, and you get to like right. put, like uh, points, and you can have like a more customizable experience. Like you have four different quarterbacks to choose from when you start. That's just it's, and that's, oh, and don't even get me started on how awful and unrealistic the storyline is. It's so the bad. Storyline is so unrealistic; it will just destroy any immersion. So, for those of you who don't know, it's uh, you're a five-star recruit. You pick your college and then once you get there uh the number one quarterback prospect in the country joins the same school as you yep so essentially you sit out for three and a half years you don't play any football your first three and a half years and your first bit of football comes in the national tight like the college football playoffs when the main guy gets hurt yep so it's... everyone knows in real life if that were to happen the guy would transfer everyone knows that in real life that like, if you're a quarterback and you don't play, not, not even like in garbage time or like in a package, it, it makes it makes zero sense. And then obviously <laughs> you're supposed to come in, you're supposed to win the title. And they got these cute little good morning football sections when they like argue about, oh, this guy doesn't have enough experience to be a quarterback, but he just led the team to the national championship game. <laughs> and then so bad. Th- those are at least a nice touch, but it just. It's like the most unrealistic storyline you it's could possibly imagine. So bad. It makes any other storyline 
Like even long shot was probably more realistic than this. That <laughs> was bad as well. <laughs> I remember long shot. Okay, I, I, like you, I kind of like the Good Morning Football segments. Like if they had an actual legit storyline, it'd be actually cool and well used because it'd make it feel more in depth. But when you have this garbage storyline of this three and a half year guy who just sits on the bench on this. D1, a Power 5, really good team, and you couldn't go, could go anywhere else, but you just sits there and rides the bench the whole time. It's just a, such a dumb storyline. I remember the old Maddens. I don't know if you remember this at all, but you could literally randomize what your parents' like jobs were and what they were. Like, <laughs> yeah. you could have your mom be like a track star and your dad was a bodybuilder, and it would affect how your person was. And she'd be like a teacher or whatever, and it would affect how your player was. But in this, you just go... All right, he's six foot and he's two twenty. That's it. Yeah, he's white. He's black. He's got a mustache. That's so it. bad. I mean, you could. I remember it because in the parent thing, you could just randomize it and say like, "Mom, forty years old, teacher, did track in high school, and dad, yada yada yada." And it randomized a guy and make it, and it had an effect on the thing. But then this, you just got this basic stuff. Ugh. It just irritates me to go play the old Maddens and realize how good it used to be. And then they transition into this garbage. So bad. Yeah, and then, what is it? After you go, go through the storyline, it just takes you to, like, the most generic the most generic experience, like, possible. Right. There's no, like, storylines, I think. Uh, one of the storylines they attempted was hilarious. Uh, uh, I was watching a, yeah, watching a playthrough. Uh, the guy didn't hand... Uh, the guy's running back was mad at him because he didn't get carries. And then there was, like, a thing, oh, promise to get him more carries, but then if he, you don't, then he hates you even more. Or tell him to deal with it, and then he'll be mad. But the guy was injured. You couldn't get him carries because he was... You're just gonna piss him off no matter what. Yeah, so in franchise mode, they added that new thing where it's like, it's supposed to be like branching, not storylines, but it's supposed to be like these little things that like make you interact with your players. So let's say uh, for the Browns, Nick Chubb wants more carries or whatever. You can do that or more rushing yards, and he goes, okay, if you do give it to him, then like a thing pops up and says, your goal for that game is get him 100 rushing yards or two rushing touchdowns, one of the two. And if you don't do it, then his like. Morale goes down. Morale like affects his uh, ratings. But if you do do it, now oh, he gets like an XP boost. And it's like okay, that's it had so much potential to be something like actually interesting and good, but it's just so bland and boring. Like after the first time you do it, it's just like well, that's just dumb. It's just <laughs> and so then bad. The missions are all the same the whole way through. It's not like more stuff comes up. It's like up oh, your wide receivers unhappy again. Your running backs unhappy again. It's just yeah. There's, it's so basic and bare-boned, it's so bad. Again, I don't mean to jump back to the uh, Superstar mode. So the career mode in Madden, after you do like the QB1 thing, if you do the whole garbage storyline, instead of continuing on like some storyline for at least your rookie season, it just takes you to career mode. And career mode in the new Madden is basically, you play games. That's it. It's not like the old Madden where you're like reading a movie script you're doing commercials, you're pr- doing training camp and practices, and th- then you go to your game and all this stuff. It's just play the game, hit next week, oh, now the game's ready. It's just so boring and so bland from, like, a big-time developer. Yep. It, it, uh, Madden makes becoming an NFL quarterback seem like becoming an accountant. Right. That's how bland it is. Right. It seems just so simple. Like, oh, did it. Now what? 
you mean you play games and nothing else happens. It's just boring. Yep. So yeah, I guess on next episode it'll be a vlog of us uh, raiding Madden Studios with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> yeah, honestly, we might have to do that. But uh, it was a great time talking to you, Paul. We'll have to get you on, especially for the college segment of this show out in probably late in the season this year. But we'll be sure to get you on to see your draft guide and everything. It's good talking to you, Paul. All right. Thank you. Have a good time. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you again to Paul for coming on the podcast and taking time out as did come on the podcast. Again, go follow Paul at PFF underscore Eagles. You know that account? That is PFF underscore Eagles on Twitter. While you're there, go follow the actual podcast account if you don't already, which is at Air It Out Pod. Air It Out Pod. Go follow that. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening to the podcast. Go review on whatever site you're using. Review, five star, anything, give this podcast better. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. See you next time.